added a long title to my sermon, so here it is. Events, events leading to the first Passover slash first commandment. So events leading to the first Passover slash first commandment. Now, when we go through many, many scriptures in, in, in the book of Exodus, we're going to find that God's big teaching, his big lesson, his big teaching was that he, he is God. He is the one God. And all the pagan gods of Egypt are just demons that, that are powerless um, in, in the face of, in the power of God Almighty. Now, Passover is a mere eight weeks away. It is time to be getting our minds focused on this most important evening of the entire year. So by way of beginning our spiritual preparation, I want to go through a few of the chapters of the book of Exodus. I think I made it to three or four of the plagues in the morning services, so I'm sure I won't do any better than that as far as the number of plagues that we'll be covering. But it, a very important story that we have here, a very important lesson because it applies to us today in more ways than we can probably count. It is the story of redemption of Israel from the bondage of Egypt. Uh, so therefore, it is our story of our redemption from sin. And as we walk through or read through the chapters of Exodus, we should be reading our story there. We should recognize our story there as well. Many, many lessons we can learn as we prepare for Passover. Now, Exodus is the Greek name and uh, the Hebrew name is, now these are the names. And many, I, I can't say all the books of the Old Testament, but perhaps that's the case. But the first few words of Exodus is the title, the Hebrew title for Exodus. And those first few words are, now these are the names. Now the Greek name is Exodus, and that's a great name too, because Exodus means going out. If uh, we wanted to leave the building, there's exit, okay? Uh, X, X in, means out. So Exodus, going out, going out of Egypt. And this name is full of symbolism for modern day Christians as well. So we know the types in the versus anti-types. The Hebrews, the Israelites, they went by both names. They're the type of today's Christians. Pharaoh was a type of Satan and also inspired by Satan. Egypt uh, was the, or is a type of the sinful pagan world in which we live. We haven't left the world yet. We're still in this world. And um, Egypt is a type of the sinful pagan world in which we live. And then the slavery that the Israelites suffered is a type of the bondage of sin that we struggle with as well. Now, once they were delivered, uh, jumping ahead of the story a little bit, uh, they were led by the pillar of the cloud and by the pillar of fire. And the Lord was in that pillar. And the New Testament identifies the, the Lord as Jesus Christ. Let's, I'll, I'll just read to you a couple of verses in Exodus 13, verse uh, 21 and, uh, and verse 22. Exodus 13, 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way. Uh, to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, to go by day and night. So they were led. Sometimes they had to leave, and they had to travel all night. Other times they traveled in the day. Verse 22 of Exodus 13. 
He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night before the people. And of course, Jesus Christ was central to all of that. God made him central to that. God made him, of course, central to our salvation. He is our Passover lamb. Now, another type uh, that is very important for us is uh, that Egypt was, I mean, I should say Israel was baptized. And that's a type of Christians getting baptized. And we see their baptism right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So if you want to go back and let's look at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10. Moreover, brethren, verse 1, I do not want you to be un unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Now they passed through it dry shod, it says. They didn't even get uh, their feet wet or they didn't even get mud on their sandals. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate that same spiritual food, that's a reference to the manna, and they drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. The Christ was the, was the Lord who was actually in the midst of that pillar of fire and, uh, and pillar of a cloud. But they were baptized by crossing the Red Sea, by crossing the Red Sea. And... Um, uh, the, and the point is, they were still in Egyptian territory. They were still in Egypt. And they were still in Egyptian territory until they crossed over the Red Sea. Until they crossed over the Red Sea. And quite frankly, today, we are not completely out of spiritual Egypt until we are baptized. I mean, it, it took them a journey. It took them a journey to finally leave Egypt, and it takes us a journey to uh, leave the Egypt of sin. So we're not completely out of sin until we are baptized, immersed in water. Now let's go to Exodus chapter 1, and I'll just cover a few verses here and there to just, just try to review the story, and hopefully we all know it very well, or it's good to review it as well. Now these are the names, Exodus 1 and verse 1, of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. Each man in his household came with Jacob, and so they, they're, they're listed here. And then, of course, Joseph dies, and there's going to be a new, a new program. But the children of Israel, verse 7, were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied, and grew exceedingly mighty. And there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph did not understand the character of that man. And he said to his people, look, these people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. That's verse 9. Come, verse 10, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply and it happen in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us and so go up out of the land. And so they set taskmasters over them to afflict them and their burdens and they built for, for Pharaoh supply cities, Python and Ramses. And again, we, you know, we see the parallel between uh, people who become Christians and the Hebrews who finally became free people. Uh, the, the devil sets his evil spirits and his evil ways upon us as spiritual taskmasters to do what? To afflict us. 
you know, with, with their evil ways. And so we, we see the parallel there. It's a very important parallel that we must be aware of. Okay, and um, verse 12, of course, the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. Dropping down to verse 14, and they, the you know, Pharaoh and the taskmasters, made their lives bitter with hard bondage. Bitter with hard bondage. And mortar and brick and all manner of service in the field and their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. So the spiritual type, the spiritual lesson that we must keep in mind is sin is bitter. And thank you for the sermonette. I think that ties tied right in with the message here. Uh, sin is, 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 makes our lives bitter. Sin brings hard bondage upon our lives. And uh, sin is terrible, you know, with terrible results. And we see, again, the analogy over here. And uh, bitter, hard bondage, that's what sin brings. Sometimes people struggle with alcohol addiction, maybe cigarettes, maybe drugs, you know, it, those types of things, many other, other types of addictions. And really, uh, the result of those addictions are bitter, hard bondage. Okay, now let's go down to verse 15. And the king of, the, of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives of whom the name of the one was Fair. You look it up in the Bible, or I should say the uh, Brown, Driver, and, and uh, Briggs lexicon. So Shifra means fair. Pua means splendid. So they had two wonderful names. And uh, he, he told them, you know, to kill them. If it's a son, kill them and throw them in a river. But midwives, verse 17, feared God, and they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. That's verse 17. And so the king of Egypt, uh, he said, well, what's going on here? How come you're not doing what I'm told? And they said, well, they, the children, uh, the Hebrew women, verse 19, uh, not like the Egyptian women, they're lively, and they give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore, God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. And so it was because the midwives feared God that he provided households for them. And verse 22 just uh, repeats what Pharaoh had wanted them to do. So now we come to chapter 2, and this, uh, this chapter 2 uh, covers the, the life of, of Moses. And uh, a man of the house of Levi went and took a wife of the daughter, uh, the, uh, the daughter of Levi. And the story drops down to the, th the third child that we know of she had. She had an older daughter called Miriam. Then she had a, a son called Aaron who was three years older than Moses. And now the, the story here picks up with, with Moses. And, and we know the story you know, quite well. I don't think we need to take the time you know, to, to read it. But uh, Pharaoh's daughter came down to wash, uh, verse 5, to, to wash by the river. Her maidens were with her. And here was this little ark that, that was uh, waterproof. It was made of some kind of reeds or bulrushes, uh, bulrushes, and they covered it with, or they waterproofed it, and they put some kind of a cover on it. And um, so they, they saw this, and she opened it, as he opened up the, the little ark, and in verse 6, there it was, and behold, the baby wept. So she fell in love right away with baby Moses. 
and uh, he looked like one of the Hebrew's children, it says in the last part of verse 6. So I don't know if he was dressed in Hebrew clothes. Probably was. It's probably all mommy and daddy had. And then he had the, the facial experience, uh, the facial appearance of, 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 of a Hebrew child. And um, so Miriam, the sister, this smart little girl, said, well, look, uh, how about if I go call mom? I mean, what if I go call a nurse? for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child and Pharaoh's daughter said well that's a good idea so uh, the maiden went and called Moses' mother and uh, Moses' mother was called to nurse and coo and cuddle baby Moses until he was what a, I don't know a year old 18 months 2 years old 2 and a half I don't know but the child grew and was brought to him the Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son so he became not only her son but he became, uh, you know, the prince of Egypt and could have become a pharaoh. And had he not been obedient to his true calling, um, because of what he did something here, uh, we could have a pyramid okay, made to Moses. Well, we don't have a pyramid made to Moses. We have wonderful Bible stories about the man's righteousness and man's faith. Now, he, he knew he was Hebrew, and so one time he went to look for his brethren, verse 11, and he saw, verse 11, an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, and he killed him right there, boom, killed him. And then he buried him in the sand. And then he finds out, verses 13 and 14, that it, they, everybody knows already. Everybody knows already. And uh, the bottom last part of verse 14, Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known, and sure enough, Pharaoh heard about it. Verse 15, he sought to kill Moses. Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. Now, uh, Stephen in book, book, the book of Acts, chapter 7, tells us that he was 40 years old at this particular time. He was 40 years old at this particular time. Well, anyway, he runs to Midian, and the priest of Midian had seven daughters, ends up marrying one of them, and has at least two sons that we, that we know of. And... Um, and verse uh, 21, Moses was content to live with a man. And, of course, he gave Zipporah, his daughter, to Moses. And then, of course, the son, his first son is called Gershom. Uh, and he says, great, I'll be a happy shepherd the rest of my life. Uh, I'm married to the love of my life. I have children. Everything's going great. Verse 23, now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died and then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. And so God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. In other words, in effect, God says, it's time. You know, it's time. He's going to do something. He's going to do something mighty. And what he's going to do is not only establish the first Passover, but he's going to talk about the first commandment. The first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. So he's going to very plainly tell Pharaoh, Pharaoh's magicians, Pharaoh's armies. Moses, Moses already knew this, but the, you know, the children of Israel, that there is but one God. And he's going to tell them quite effectively so Moses in the next chapter uh, sees 
sees this burning bush, and verse two sees the angel of the Lord who appeared to him in the in the in the flame of fire. And again, Acts chapter seven tells us that that is as Jesus Christ that was seen there, and that that was there. And uh, Moses was curious as to why was this bush burning, and so. Uh, when the Lord saw, verse 4, that he turned aside to look, to look, God called him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Now, 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 there's a lot in, in verse 6. One thing it tells us is that Moses knew the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He didn't say, who's Abraham? Who, who's Jacob? Who, who's Isaac? You know, he knew Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he knew the story of the book of Genesis. They, the Israelites had, had not completely lost the knowledge that you and I know about as we read Genesis. They knew the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The problem is after being in Egypt for hundreds of years, uh, after being in Egypt, they weren't, we, I don't know how long they were slaves, but they'd been in Egypt so long that, that they began to worship like the Egyptians worshiped. Uh, and they went to many gods when God tells us in the first commandment there is one God and one God to worship. So we'll get to that a little bit more as well. God, God said, verse 7 of chapter 3, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. I know their sorrows. God's people today have a lot of sorrows. God's people today... Well, look at the prayer, just the prayer request that we've just gone over today. Some of our teenagers are suffering with sorrows, as Emma and Samara. And uh, people are suffering the sorrows of loss of loved ones, the sorrows of sickness. But God knows our sorrows. And God's going to do something about our sorrows. Okay, now let's continue on, chapter 3. And uh, we'll go to verse... Uh, and so God is telling him, look, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go, and it's time for them to go. And Moses said, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel, and, and then he says, you, you know, uh, you've you got to tell the brethren that too, or the, the, the Hebrews that. So when I come to the children of Israel, in verse 13, and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, what is his name, and what, what shall I say to them? What will I tell them? And God, verse 14, said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, now this is the one who later became Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is not a lesser God. Uh, Jesus Christ is not semi-God. Jesus Christ is God who is sitting at the right hand of the Father. That's what he is. John, and keep place here, and let's go to John 8 and verse 58. And there are many scriptures um, in, in the Gospels, particularly in John, 
where this particular phrase is found, John 8 and verse 58. Uh, verse, verse 57, just for the background. Then the Jews said to him, you, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Well, yes, he has. Uh, and Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. He is the great I am. Jesus Christ is the great I am. Okay, now let's go back to verse uh, chapter 3 again, and, um, oh, actually, let's jump ahead to chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, and um, Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice, suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you, and so the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand, and he said, a rod, you know, a staff, he said, cast it to the ground, and he cast it to the ground, and it became a serpent, obviously a poisonous serpent because Moses fled from it and then the Lord said to Moses reach out your hand and take it by the tail and that took a lot of faith to do that to grab a poisonous snake by by the tail and he reached out uh, and they're long enough to turn around and bite you let's put it that way he reached out his hand and caught it and it became it returned to being a rod in his hand that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. So the Hebrews themselves had some kind of an idea of the book of Genesis. You know, they, they knew about the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. They knew who these people were. So it wasn't like everything brand new to them. However, the problem is they were, had been spending too much time, you know, worshiping idols, pagan idols idols of Satan, and uh, it cost them dearly for that. Now, the serpent was one of the many pagan demonic gods of Egypt. And God is beginning to show Moses that he's just about to strike all the demon gods of Egypt. I want, I want to read to you here Exodus 12 and verse 13. For I, I will, says God, I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn of the land of Egypt both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. So, God is going after false religion here. He's going after pagan religion and pagan idols. The word judgment means sentence. I will go against, I will pronounce sentence upon all the gods of Egypt, he's saying. So the demon gods of Egypt are going to be rendered powerless against the great God. And this is all pointing, brethren, to the first Passover and pointing to the first commandment. If that's where this sermon is going, we're going towards the first Passover. And I won't get there totally, of course. And we're going towards the first commandment as well. Okay, now chapter 4 and verse 28 so they, uh, uh, they have a little meeting with, uh, with the leaders, Moses and Aaron, verse 28, uh, and all the words of the Lord who had sent him, this is chapter 4, 28, and the signs which he had commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel 
and Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses. And then he did signs in the uh, sight of the people. And so the people believed. The elders believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked upon their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. Now this is like oftentimes like uh, a new person coming into God's church. A new person, you know, heading for, for baptism. So uh, they get the booklets. They read about the kingdom of God. They read about the millennium. Uh, they read, the, hey, there's no rapture. Uh, they read about the Sabbath, you know, the holy days. They get all excited. People believe. And they hear these things. And they, you know, maybe they start praying for the first time. They, they bow their heads and they worship. So this is a lot like new people coming into the church. How long does it last sometimes? Uh, we, get on a, we get on a high while we begin our spiritual journey, but how long will it be before the trials and temptations set in? Okay. Afterward, Moses, chapter 5, verse 1, uh, went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Well, who is the Lord? And that I should obey. He thought he was a god, by the way. He thought he was a god. And I should obey the voice to let Israel go. I do not know the Lord. Boy, that's a, that was a true statement. He did not know the Lord. Nor will I let Israel go. So they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence and with sword. And then the king of Egypt told them, look, Moses and Aaron, why, why do you take the people from their work, get back to your labor? And the rest of chapter 5, perhaps we know it pretty well. Uh, Pharaoh said, look, you've got too much time on your hands. Your, your people have got too much time. You're spending too much time thinking and not working. All right, no more straw. You know, we're not going to give you straw for the bricks. You want the straw, go get it yourselves. And then on top of that, uh, we want you to you want we want you to put out more bricks, more bricks than before, and uh, you, you know you go get straw. Verse eleven, where you can find it. Let none of your work be diminished, and um, so he he doubles down as we say today. He makes life more miserable than before. So the the officers, verse sixteen, of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying. Why are you dealing thus with your servants? And there is no straw given to us, and so on. Verse 17. But he said, you are idle. You are idle. And that's your problem. And uh, they, uh, uh, they had to suffer for a while, of course. And, and even Moses had a problem with it, what was going on. Verse 22. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? This isn't the way I thought it was going to be. Why is it you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil uh, to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. Why these trials? We're not supposed to have trials. We're supposed to have blessings. Everything's supposed to go our way. You know, everything is great, we thought. But Moses is, is wondering, you know, you know, what is going on here. Now, God does respond Chapter 6, let's drop down to verse 6. And I, I count maybe, either, you know, even with the way you would group this, you could count it either uh, 6 or 7 
promises here from God. Chapter 6, verse 6. Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord, I am the Lord. I, number one, will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will, and, uh, and number two, I will rescue you from their bondage. And number three, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. And number four, I will take you as my people. Number four, God taking these slaves, turning them into his people. Verse five, I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Number six, I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And number seven, I will give you, I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. So I count here then seven promises. Now, what was their response? Uh, how, how did they respond, I should say? Well, verse, verse 9, So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they would not heed Moses because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. They said, nah, this is just too good to be, you know, we don't believe this. And they just couldn't believe the sevenfold promises of God Almighty. And, you know, sometimes our problems, by analogy, sometimes our problems can get to us, right? Uh, sometimes our problems can, can weigh us down. But, brethren, we must never get to the point of, of verse 9. We must never let verse 9 get to us. God will deliver us. God will bring us through all of these problems, no matter what they are. Okay, um, chapter 7, we'll go to verse 4. And again, God is saying, talking to Moses, but Pharaoh will not heed you so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the judgments he's going to bring upon the demon gods of Egypt. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt. You know, we will read, not today, but there was a place where the even the common Egyptians said, send these people out of here. Their God is killing us all. They got it before Pharaoh got it. Verse uh, 6, then Moses and Aaron did, did so just as the Lord uh, commanded them. So they did. And, of course, Moses' age of this type was, the time was, you know, was uh, 80. He was 80 years old. Now, uh, Let's drop down to verse 20, chapter 7, and verse 20. And Moses and Aaron did so. This is as far as uh, striking this is the first plague, uh, the river, uh, and uh, it came, became blood, verse, uh, chapter, tw uh, chapter 7, verse 20. The Nile River became blood. And, uh, you know, the, the Nile River itself was worshipped a deity and, uh, the, and I want to read here from uh, from the Bible reading program about the waters being made blood each of the plagues of Egypt was an assault on multiple Egyptian gods for instance the plague on the waters was a slap at Kunum the giver of the Nile at, at H-A-P-Y the spirit of the Nile at Sodpet the god of the Nile flood waters at Osiris, whose bloodstream was the, was the Nile. At Edjo, the goddess of the Delta. At Hatmet, guardian goddess of fish and fishermen. And at various 
other deities that should have been looking out for the Egyptians. The idea is, okay, all these pagan gods were powerless against the mighty power of God. Now, verse 22, let's make a, take a look at verse 22. In this case, it says the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. The lesson for us today, dear brethren, is that false ministers can appear as true ministers. Why, these guys were working miracles too. False ministers today can appear to be true ministers. God also allows this test upon us as well to see if we really are going to listen to him and obey him. Okay, chapter 8 and verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all your territory with frogs. And again, this was something that the Egyptians were able to copy somehow. They somehow were able to copy verse 7, but they couldn't get rid of the frogs. They couldn't get rid of them. Uh, it, it took the word of, the, of God to get rid of the frogs. Now, frogs, of all things, uh, one of the gods worshipped uh, by the Egyptians was Heket, whose image was a frog. They worshipped a frog. Or uh, it was, a, the, it was um, a woman with the head of a frog, and uh, her name was Heket, uh, the goddess of birth, midwives, and safe deliveries. Uh, frogs in moderate numbers being seen as signs of life, renewal, and happiness. And so Pharaoh said, uh, verse 8, even though his magicians could do something, they couldn't get rid of the frogs. So verse 8 of chapter 8, Moses said to Aaron, entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me uh, and, from, uh, and, and from the people, and I will let the people go, he said. And uh, so, you know, uh, the, uh, the frogs were taken away. I mean, they, they died, and they were just tremendous. Uh, it says here in verse... Uh, 14, they uh, gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. I can't imagine what a, I guess I can imagine what a stinky frog, frog would smell like, but not piles and piles and piles and piles of heat uh, of, of frogs. But no, they actually, uh, they actually worshiped frogs. Um, so uh, going on, the court of happy, I call it happy, but H-A-P-Y, mentioned above included crocodile gods so they called crocodiles gods and goddesses and frog frog goddesses and so then there's it goes on and talks about various demons and so on like that but i was as i was going through researching on this here's something for our archaeologist friends they have unearthed crocodile mummies this was in 2019 crocodile mummies from a tomb in Egypt. Archaeologists made the discovery during an excavation near the city of Aswan. The tomb contained five skeletons and five skulls of large crocodiles dating back to before 304 BC. The crocodiles are thought to be from two different species. Archaeologists believe the remains were buried as a part of a ritual honoring an ancient Egyptian god linked to crocodiles. Okay, so th that's as far as I'm going to go with 
the plague. So I, I got as far as I guess the uh, what is it? The first two plagues. So let me skip all these goodies here for now. Try to get back to them later. But God is taking them somewhere. He's taking them to the Mount Sinai. He's taking them to the Ten Commandments. And so let's go to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. This is what God, this is where God is taking them. And God spoke all these words saying. So God's doing the talking. Moses is not doing the talking. Moses is doing the listening. He's up on top of the mountain with God. Moses is doing the listening. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Now, there's a parallel between that and Christians today. The land of Egypt was a land of pagans. Pagans and deities and false gods. And we've just mentioned a few names of the many, many false gods. So I've taken you out of the land of false gods. And I've taken you out of the house of bondage. In those days, bondage was slavery to uh, the uh, taskmasters. Today, bondage is the bondage of sin. The bondage of sin. Then, then he gives this great command, chapter 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. The great first commandment. Now, later on, Christ expands it to mean you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. This is the first commandment. So we have, you shall have no other gods before me. Let's turn to Exodus 23. Let's turn to Exodus 23, and we'll look at verse 13. And in all that I have, that I have said to you, be, be circumspect and make no mention. Make no mention of the name of other gods, nor let it be heard from your mouth. And then he says in verse 24, uh, Exodus 23, 24, You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works. But you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. Whenever there was a revival in the land of Judah, uh, the king Hezekiah or Josiah would just clean out all the pagan, uh, the pagan statues and pagan idols that were in the temple and surrounding area. This is what they were told to do, completely break down the sacred pillars. Now, in this sermon that I'm giving today, uh, I'm trying to make, uh, make us remember, hopefully make us remember, that we are in a battle against paganism. We are in a battle against paganism. And uh, it's more than what we think. It's more than what we think. Paganism, I mean, plain old paganism, is becoming more and more popular. Um, here are some of the things that are current, okay? Uh, people, uh, when it comes to paganism, people are interested and learning more about them. Uh, people think paganism is harmless fun. And uh, some people want to, dr want to dress up like a pagan and go pagan. People pray to pagan gods and they seek help from witch doctors. Now here's the headline. Now, now God was taking Israel out of paganism, but modern Israel today wants to go back into paganism. So here's one headline. 
why paganism and witchcraft are making a comeback. And here's another headline. Paganism is the oldest, newest religion. And so I want to read from this article. Paganism is the oldest, oldest, newest religion. When Christianity switched from a persecuted fringe sect to the state religion of the Roman Empire, those in the new monotheistic mainstream came up with an insult for the polytheistic hicks. So anybody who was a polytheistic hick was called a pagan. Now little did they know that these polytheistic hicks would someday turn the tables on them and become the main religion of the day. While most of the rites and the practices of pagan belief systems died out centuries ago, some modern spiritual seekers have recovered these ancient wisdom, and I, I wouldn't use the word wisdom because there's no real wisdom in this, and uh, they now proudly identify by, as pagan. By some measures, modern paganism is one of America's fastest growing religions with an estimated one million followers of various pagan sects. So it goes by neo-paganism, contemporary paganism, and so on, and uh, it gets their um, traditions from Sumeria, Egypt, Greeks, Roman practices, Wicca, worship of Norse gods, goddesses, land spirits, and the Druids. With such a diversity of religious traditions and rituals, modern paganism defies, defies easy definition. Uh, the, um, the religious scholar so-and-so uh, has identified this as being dedicated to reviving, to reviving polytheistic nature worship pagan religions of pre-Christian Europe and adapting them for the use of people in modern societies. They're flocking to that direction. Um, so contemporary pagans feel a strong connection to the past and look to those pre-Christian practices and cultures and spiritually as inspiration for what they're trying to recover, you know, bring back, recover, find again, or create anew. They're seeking, in plain language, they're seeking demons. That's the plain language. Um, so here's a couple of uh, more headlines. Pagan practice and rituals. Wicca and women's empowerment, whatever that means. You know, the rise of heathenry. Okay. And... Um, then it goes on to say that the, that the riches, uh, the, the three-part structure setting the stage, cleansing the sacred area or drawing a circle around it, commun communing with the gods through dance, music, guided meditation, or returning then to reality because they're in a trance, thanking and dismissing the spirits or gods, and perhaps sharing food and drink with the other participants. The world, the country, America, modern-day Israel, brother is going back into paganism. And now that brings me to, to the subject briefly of Valentine's Day. And Gary Petty has written quite an article on, on St. Valentine, Cupid, uh, uh, Cupid, and Jesus Christ. And I want to start out the story of Valentine's Day, or just one, one, one story. Uh, when I was working for the state of Missouri in the uh, Department of Family Services, I was in a class. And it was around, it was around uh, you know, February the 14th. 
And we were in a class, and all of a sudden there's a knock on the door, and somebody comes in and says, I'm looking for, and then gave a name. Okay, come with me. So she had to get up and get out, walk down to the main floor, and then she came back with this great big bouquet of red roses. So she sits them right next to her. To me, it's kind of comical looking, because there she was with this giant bouquet of red roses. Okay, maybe 20 minutes go by, knock on the door, and the lady says, and comes in and says, okay, I'm looking for, okay, you come with me. So she came back down. A few minutes later, she comes up with another gift. I, I don't, I think it was roses. It might have been a huge box of candy, a big box of candy. But anyway, she has two Valentine gifts. So uh, I was kind of wondering, well, is this two guys chasing this lady? Um, or is it one guy trying to really wow her and impress her? So, uh, and the idea is what is, what is so wrong as, as Gary Petty is saying here, every year in mid-February, millions of people express romantic desire for each other by exchanging heart-shaped boxes of chocolate, flowers, and Valentines. Valentine's Day is as popular as ever with children and couples. It is definitely one of the biggest money-making days for florists, candy makers, and gift shops. And God's people, the point I'm trying to make is God's people, some are being tempted to go along with Valentine's Day. Some are being tempted to go along with Valentine's Day. I would really encourage you to, uh, to read this article from Mr. Petty. I think we have some copies there. Information table, we can always make more. Um, uh, okay, let's just uh, re read this one quote. Um, the various Valentines eventually evolved into one. Lovers' quarrels come, uh, come under his jurisdiction whoever he is, and naturally he is the patron saint of engaged couples and anyone wishing to marry. And so this history of, of Valentine's Day was, was actually came from the editors of Hallmark Cards, <laughs> which makes sense. They want to sell as many cards as they can on Valentine's Day. Uh, birds and lovers in the Middle Ages. Then it goes on and talks about how uh, Valentine's Day had its roots in Lupercalia. Uh, Lupercalia was a weird and weird, strange, um, demonic, uh, pagan custom. One of the popes is said to have eradicated Lupercalia from Christian observance in the last decade in the fifth century. But in reality, the intermingling, the intermingling of paganism and Christianity had become inseparable in much of the Western world. Saturnalia and Mithraism came, came into the church uh, by claiming a December birth for Jesus Christ. So these people call themselves Christians, but they mingle the pagan ideas with them. But brethren, sadly, we're still fighting that today. We're still fighting that today. Um, Mr. Petty does quote chapter 12 of Deuteronomy and verse 29. When the Lord your God cuts off from before you the nations which you go to dispossess, and when you displace them and dwell in their land, take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow them, and they are destroyed from before you, so that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, how, how did these nations serve their gods? I will do likewise. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. If it's pagan, don't do it. If it's pagan, don't adopt it. Uh, 
for the Lord, for every abomination to the Lord, which he hates, that they have done to their gods. So again, I would encourage you to uh, to read the, read this article. I don't know if I've ever really talked that much about Valentine's Day, but I certainly feel that there is a need to warn people of that. Let's turn to Jeremiah. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 10 and uh, look at verse 1. Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 1. Hear the word which the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, thus, thus says the Lord, do not learn the way of the Gentiles, nor be dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the Gentiles are dismayed at them. I'd like to read this from the New English translation. The Lord says, do not start following pagan religious practices. Very plain. Don't start following pagan religious practices. Do not be in awe of the signs that occur in the sky, even, through, even though the nations hold them in awe. And then, of course, the, King, the old King James says, learn not the ways of the heathen. Be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them. So let me turn the concluding scripture by circling back to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, God says, I want to read, I want to read it here. You shall have, verse, you know, I am the Lord your God, then dropping down to verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. You know, we have our beautiful system of holy days. We have the holy days. Then right after the Holy Day, here comes Halloween, uh, then Christmas, then New Year's, then Valentine's, then St. Patrick's Day. Maybe I, maybe I missed one, I don't know. But brethren, let's make sure that our people, our young people, will not get involved with such foolishness as Valentine's Days. Uh, let's go against the pagan ways of this world. Let's make sure we have no other gods before the true God.